0: of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow and I'm so grateful that you're here with us. Now, this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we'll be diving deeply into topics that keep you inspired and at your best. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, sharing tools and resources, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask a favor would you please go to iTunes or whatever app that you're listening to us on and subscribe and leave a rating and review. It would really help us out. It helps us to share our messages with as many people as we can and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people too. So thank you. Now, the title of today's episode is It's on us to change our piece of the world and the time is now. And I'm going to be diving into deep dialogue with our special guest, Indrani Goradia. Now, Indrani is a philanthropist, a keynote speaker, and an advocate for women's health and empowerment. She is the founder of Indrani's Light Foundation, now doing business as Raft Cares, providing training to advocates in sexual and domestic violence shelters. She is also a founding member of Maverick Collective. She's joined forces with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and PSI International to transform the lives of girls and women by training agencies in the domestic violence arena. Her work was implemented in India, Trinidad and Tobago, Guatemala and Quito. And these are just a few of her achievements out of what I can tell you is a very long list. So welcome, Indrani.
1: Jane, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I'm not so far from you. You're (laughs) way across the pond.
0: (laughs) Well, I am so thrilled that you are here with us because when I looked at your bio, I couldn't not have you on the podcast because you are such a force for good in the world. Truly, my friend. So, Let me start by um, really giving our listeners some background into, you know, who is the woman
1: that's behind the professional bio here? Tell us about her. Jane, thank you for that question. I was not always a force for good. I grew up with a lot of violence in my childhood, severe physical and emotional abuse and when I had my first child at 31, I wanted to become an abuser. And how do I know that? Because when that baby was an infant and that baby was crying, my first instinct was to slap the baby. And in that moment, when half of my brain said, slap him, and the other half of my brain said, but you love him, Luckily, my love was greater than my anger or rage or inability to cope. And in that moment, I decided that I was going to learn how to be a parent without using any violence at all. So Uh, I will tell the listener that I was able to never, ever hit. I, I never did anything physical. It did take me about five or six years to realize that yelling and sarcasm and just being generally not kind was also violent. I have to say that I learned that lesson and now I, uh, when I talk to my kids about, remember when I used to yell and scream? They both say, mom, stop. That was so long ago. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the good news is when, when you decide to do something and you do it, your children will forgive you. But it's on us to decide and it's on us to do and it's on us to stay true to what we say we want to be. Wow, that is
0: incredible. I mean, I, I really want to honor the way that you've opened up our conversation here because, you know, one of the things that I noticed as I was listening to you is you are able to speak your truth without shame, without needing to hide it in any way. And that feels like something that is,
1: well, very rare
0: in our world. And I'd love you to speak to that, Indrani.
1: Ah, I love that you spoke that out loud. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, but Brene's work on shame really helped me to understand that the shame of my abuse is not with me. It does not live with me. It doesn't live in my body. There was nothing that I ever did as a child to have deserved the kind of abuse that was freely given. And the moment, the moment we can all accept that that shame and anger and All those excuses that the abuser used, things like, see what you made me do. If you were a better child, I wouldn't have to do this. If you were a better wife, if you were a better mother, none of those things belong to the victim. And the way to process shame is to tell the story. First, you have to find a trusted person to tell the story to. And a trusted person is someone who will never judge, who will never give advice, and who will never say something as stupid as, I know exactly how you feel, because nobody knows exactly how anyone else feels. Mm -hmm. A trusted person will say, Thank you for sharing would you like to tell me more? And if the person says yes, then you'll listen. If the person says no, a trusted person says, is there something that you would like for me to do for you in this moment? And that person might say, no, nothing. It it was just nice to be here. Or that person might say, can you give me a hug? Or that person might say, please do not repeat any of this. This was just for you and me. And in that moment, you have to say, you have my word that this is confidential. And the only way you're going to get that is first, if you know that you're speaking to a trusted person. Hmm.
0: So did you have that person
1: in your life? No. (laughs) When I was and isn't it, isn't it funny that I can laugh and giggle about that now? Yeah, because when I was going through my angst and I had all the shame and I accepted all the shame as as mine, i I never really reached out in any meaningful way to anyone. I, I always had the mask of, "I'm okay, everything's okay, I, I'm managing, it's fine." and I was about to turn 49 years old and I realized, ooh, after 49 comes 50. And all of a sudden I was hit with the the sentiment of, "I, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this for another year, much less another 20, 30 years. And for anyone listening, Uh, be steady, take a deep breath, because you're going to hear that I was an active suicidal ideation. I had a plan. I was carrying through with the plan. Luckily, the plan did not work. And I went to my therapist and I said, Well, I had this plan, but it didn't work and I don't know what to do. And I stupidly thought that therapist would say, oh, that was a good plan. Maybe we should make a different plan. He didn't. He said, Indrani, you are severely depressed. At the time, I did not believe in depression. I was always told depression wasn't a real thing. He convinced me. He said, okay, if it's not real, you trust me, right? Yes, I do okay, so what do you have to lose if you just try the medicine? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I started the medicine, and after eight weeks, I went to him and I said, I don't know, something's wrong. I'm not feeling good. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, nothing has changed in my life, and I'm not worried about all the stuff that I was worried about. So that's worrying me. What is wrong with me that I am not worried And he said, ah, so the medicine is working. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, Indrani, when the medicine begins to work, the brain fog clears away. And I said, can I live like this for the rest of my life? And he said, only if you want to. So I wanted to, and I decided that I was going to create a whole new life when I turned 50 I learned how to swim. I did an Olympic distance triathlon. I finished dead last. I got my medal and then I started the rest of the work. So I'm 66 this year. All of this work started after 50.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. That is one incredible story that you changed your life after 50 and really it feels like to me and I, I am going to put words into your mouth here so please excuse me <laughs> and challenge me back if this isn't how it feels to you but it feels like you were called it feels like a spiritual calling a sacred calling to do the work
1: you were meant to do yes and yes let's hear it It. <laughs> It felt like something was trying to blossom inside of me. Have you heard the quote, the force that through the green stem drives the flower? No, and I love it. I think it's by Anais Nin.
0: Oh, yes. She has another I, one about the bud opening, the time has come.
1: Yeah, yeah, I when know. it was too tight to be <laughs> too in. Tight, yeah. yes. Yeah. I started to feel that there was something in me that was very uncomfortable, but not in the old depressed way. Mm -hmm. This discomfort drove me to do things that I had never done. For instance, it drove me to become a yoga teacher. Why do you want, Andrani, what is this? So I did the yoga teaching. It drove me to become a master coach. I I did that and I never had a plan for anything. I just kept following the crumbs. It drove me to become, excuse me, a yoga therapist. And then it drove me to put those things together and start a life coaching company where I started coaching people. But the discomfort did not leave And one day I found myself in a woman's shelter in Houston doing a group coaching class. And I remember my husband saying to me, what are you going to do when you get there? And I said, I have no idea, but I know that somebody in that group will give me something that I can work with. And when I was coming home from that first session, I remember gripping the steering wheel and saying, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because I felt like someone had given me a million dollars. And that's when I started to look at, well, okay, this is the work. Uh, Is it a foundation? Is it coaching in shelters? What is it? And through a series of, you know, mishaps and mistakes and everything that is normal and natural, I I found the foundation.
0: I love that. And as you speak to this, so I'm going to tap into my own like narrative for a minute, because what I know about myself is I I have experienced trauma in my life. And when I kind of speak to the narrative, it it almost doesn't do it justice, because it almost sounds like a, a nice, neat package all tied up with a bow. And I know that You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You can connect the dots looking backwards, and everything looks like almost easy, right? But it was anything but for me in my story. And I noticed you talked about having your first child at 31 and and knowing that, you know, you you could have easily just continued the abuse, right? But you realized that half of your brain was in that space, and, you know, half of your brain was in loving. and you knew that the love was more. And then you talked about 49 and 50. I would love you to walk us through just a little bit of what happened in that space between 31 years and 49, because somehow that feels to me like the ground, the foundations of you in a way that has made this work so meaningful for you at this stage in your life. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. And you know, Jay, no one has ever asked me that question. <laughs> ever. People always say, well, you know what happened, but you you bookended it with the years, and that was brilliantly done. So let me be really thoughtful and think. Hmm. So here I am, 31 have this baby, I don't know why I'm having all these thoughts of being unkind to this little infant. And when I don't have those thoughts, the love that I feel is overwhelming. I, I didn't know that such love could exist. So part of, I was always so confused with my own self. Rani. how can you feel like this and then feel like this? It, it took me a long time to realize, and, and I'm talking years, that some of that individual, some of that initial stuff was postpartum depression. Mm. And You know, my son is now 35. So back then, that wasn't being thought about, right? Uh, And I was hearing things like, women have been having children for 100 million years. Why are you so special? Well, already I wasn't special. Already I was abused as a kid. So why couldn't I, why didn't I know how to be a mom? I, and I have to tell you, I have to, I have to tell everyone who's listening, at this point in my life, I did not realize that I was abused. Right. At age 31, I did not—I never painted any of the stuff that I suffered as abuse. I had other thoughts. My thoughts were, you weren't good enough. You deserved it. You must have been a bad kid. If you were smarter, everything was on me so here i here i don't understand that i was abused and there's clinical depression working in the background that has that won't be diagnosed for for a a decade and a half almost two decades right 31 to 49 and i have made the promise that i will not be violent Hmm. and i don't even think i use the word violent in my mind i said I will not be like her. Right. That was it. So if I wanted to do something and it occurred to me that the person who was not kind would have done that thing, I did the opposite, which wasn't always the right thing to do. But I was very clear in my mind that I was never going to be unkind to my children. So I think that was the first big decision. And you will be kind to these children that you said you wanted. Mm. Nobody forced me to have them. I had them later in life. I had my career. I had my degrees. I lived in New York City. I did all the stuff I wanted to do. And this was your choice. So if it was your choice, grow up. Step up to the plate and be kind. And the way I learned how to be a mom is I started to look around in the world. And everywhere I saw kindness from a woman, whether it was on TV or in real life to a child, I started to take those lessons and put it in my own own mothering bucket, so to speak. And so I learned how to be a kind mother from observing other people. I remember the first time I was in a, a Target or a Walmart or something, and I saw a child screaming and throwing a tantrum, and the mother didn't slap the child. I thought, oh my gosh, how did she not do that? How? What does she know that I don't know? And then I realized... That's a regular human person. If she can do it, I can do it. So instead of looking for all the stuff that said, hi, go ahead and do it, I looked for the stuff that said, okay, this is an example of how you want to be in the real world. So maybe that brings me up, all of those learnings maybe brings me to maybe 40. And after 40, That's when I started looking at, um, well, what, you know, what can I do? When these kids go off to college, what is it that I want to do? (laughs) I had, I dabbled in uh, doing dried flower arrangements. That was a mess. I spent so much money (laughs) in dried flowers and pots and pans. I don't even know where they are. I I have no bone in my body that said I should do that. But I dragged my family to art fairs. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about it now, oh my goodness. And my family, they were so kind. My children thought they were the most beautiful arrangements ever. I don't know. But I had a few things like that. At one point, I started selling children's music. Not because I was a good salesperson. I hate to sell. But because I could talk about this music and it got me out of the house and it got me to talking to other moms and I saw how other people lived. And so, you know, that happened and that stopped. And I think I did something else. I don't even remember what it was. And then that brings me to about 48 and then 49, everything falls into place. First it falls apart, then it falls into place. And and, you know, Jane, I'm talking about the goodness, right? The flower arrangements, the children's music. But everything was a, imagine a, a line, a heartbeat line. Everything had a peak and a valley. And when I was in the valley, it was really hard. And the only thing that got me out of those valleys were the love, were my children's love. Because my children looked at me, and when they looked at me, I knew. I knew that I was there everything. Mm. And if I couldn't step up to the plate and be there everything, who was going to do it? Who? Yeah. And, and I didn't have a choice. I wanted to be there everything because I chose to bring them into the world. And I had to make sure that this world was a place where they would thrive. I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm crying.
0: That's okay. And I really want to speak to something here because, you know, you're saying it in such an easy way, but what you're really speaking to here is and, and what I hear is your ability to heal yourself so that you could be there, be present with your children, state the intention that you did to, you know, not use any violence at all with them in their upbringing, to be kind and compassionate as a mother, And the way you say that, it's like you're not using the words responsibility, but it would have been so easy for you, Indrani, to just repeat what you knew, to not heal yourself, to not change the narrative in your family lineage, but to just, as so many people do, to stay, you know, and not ask the questions that, have really taken you, my friend, on a very different path. So I just wanted to honor that because I think that that in itself is quite extraordinary.
1: I do. Jane, you are so right. I hear so many people say, well, I grew up like this and I turned out okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And for anyone listening now, if, if you're saying this to yourself or if you're a young person and somebody is saying this to you, I want you to know that in this instance, okay means that you have survived this far. But life is not only about survival. And if you have some resources at hand, if you have a person you can speak to a counselor a minister a friend go ahead and tell yourself i want to not only survive i want to thrive i want to i want to live with joy and joy can be found in the smallest things if you have only water to drink then joy may be that the water is cold if you have water and juice joy may be that you have enough juice to share with someone else Uh, jane i remember i was in india i was in india once and we were in a taxi and i saw a woman who was living under the overpass and she had tied her sari onto two poles and made a hammock and she was swinging her kids under the overpass with a hammock. She had nothing else. She probably had two saris, one that she was wearing and one that was a hammock. Hmm. And she was humming and she was smiling and I thought, if she can do that, why can't I find joy in every single moment? That was such a poignant visual in my life. I have never forgotten it.
0: Hmm. Oh my word. Yes. Yes. That's what I want to say to you. Yes. With capital letters. And, you know, there's something else that I'm picking up as you speak, which is, you know, and it's not words that you've used, but I'm hearing it in, in your story, which is, the hope, right? Because I do feel if we, if we don't have hope about a different path for ourselves, about a different future, it's very difficult to find ourselves at that point where we have the, the strength, maybe, the courage to say enough is enough, right? This needs to change now. And that, for me, is that's an inner kind of sense of, okay, enough, I can make a change. And without hope, I don't know that we ever find ourselves in that empowered place because that's what it is really. Even when we know it's going to be like, you know, pushing water uphill, it's going to be a really hard challenge. We don't even know how we're going to do it. And it sounds like you took one step at a time, right, into Mm -hmm. this place. And one of the things I'd love for our listeners to hear is, did, is the answer to this question which is did you ever think you would get here where you oh.
1: <laughs> did, did you hear the guffaw <laughs> yes I did <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness I I I was uh, just l- let me catch my breath for a minute <laughs> Oh I love you. Michael. So, so the, the thing is, you know, in that question, there's another question that yes. I believe that there was a here. Right. There was no here, right? I don't I don't know where the here came from. My only <laughs> my only job between let's say 0 years and let's say 31, yeah, was to Get my degree, get a job, and survive. That was my job, right? Mm-hmm. then thirty one to forty nine, my job was to not to, to not be abusive and so be kind to my children, yeah. and make sure that they never are afraid of me. That was the job right. Then at fifty or forty nine when the depression is diagnosed and I'm feeling better, and I all of a sudden, Cross that finish line at an Olympic distance triathlon. I learned to swim. I ride a bike for 26 miles and I run for six miles. And I say to myself, Girl, if you can do this, what are you going to do tomorrow? And so it was only a tomorrow. And if we always stand on the next best thing, then that's always here. I'm here. And I'm going to make a plan for the next bit. And I never, never saw that the next bit would be a TED Talk or speaking at the UN or doing work with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or being up. This was not in the plan. The plan became, okay, you were successful in ending gender violence. Now end violence in the world. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'll do it. I remember one time someone said, uh, my husband and I were at a thing, and someone said to him, she doesn't really think she can end violence in the world, does she? And he said, no, I don't think so. And I said, yes, I do. Yeah. And they both looked at me like I was mad. And I said, well, listen, fellas, they were both two men, of course. I said, listen, fellas, if I say it's 50%, Is it your family that's in the 50%? Which family would you like to not be in the percentage that I want to reach? And they just looked and I said, you know what? It's got to be everybody because everybody is somebody, somebody. So I have to believe that it's everybody. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to wake up in the morning.
0: And I've just got goosebumps as you're speaking. When you said that, it like brings it home in a very real way for all of us, Mm -hmm. you know. And I I think for, for some people listening who maybe haven't experienced this, which is great, you know, they may not realize that, you know, it can often go on behind closed doors. And one of the things I'm thinking about as you're speaking to this is here we are, and we're recording this in the midst of quarantine. For mm-hmm. COVID, and suddenly the world has changed on its axis. And for those people that suffer from violence at home, they're now behind closed doors, potentially trapped.
1: And it, it's, it's not a potential, it is a definite. It's a
0: definite, isn't yeah. it? Trapped. And they are
1: hostages. Yes. And when you're a hostage, your only job is to survive. Yes. So, Jane, is it okay if I speak oh, to that you. right here? Please All right. do,
0: because I think it's really important we speak to this
1: now. So, if you're a hostage in active abuse, and you know that you're going to be physically harmed, what you have to do is protect your inner organs, meaning you have to make yourself into a little ball and hide in a corner so that the abuser has less body surface to connect with. If you are not in that serious of a situation, and it's mainly a lot of emotional and verbal abuse, the moment you see the tell, and the tell could be, okay, when he has four beers, something's going to happen. As soon as you see that he has had that fourth beer, go take a shower and take a long shower or go read a book to the kids. Get out of the room. This is not the time to say, you know, this is really the time you need to stop drinking. No, that is just asking for trouble. You are the most important person in that home you can read energy like no one else. Help the children to survive. You survive by reading the energy and teach your children how to call 911. Turn your phones off and teach 911 and teach what to say. Hello, my name is Indrani. My mom is in trouble. My dad is in trouble. My sisters are in trouble. Come here now. The one operator might say, you have to stay on the phone, keep talking to me. And you tell the kid just to keep saying, come here now. Come here now. 911 still works in this moment of isolation and quarantine. So again, if you are in active abuse, your job is to survive. We can make all kinds of plans after this and hopefully if this is something you had been putting up with and didn't have the the push to make a safety plan or to do something different maybe you'll do it now and if you don't that's okay your job is to survive and to teach your children how to survive
0: thank you for that if you know, just one person hears that, then Mm -hmm. that, that would be a phenomenal message for them to hear. Absolutely. And I've still got goosebumps. But I want to take us to our title, which seems such an apt title. Now we're talking in depth about this subject. You chose it's on us to change our piece of the world. And the time is now. Now, as you know, I run a community called Sacred Change Makers, and and we have a belief that everyone can be a change maker. So, my question, Indrani, is how can our listeners, how can we, like, be part of this ending the violence in the world? Is there anything that we can do? We might be ordinary people. We might not be aware of any violence with the, you know, within our immediate circle. Is there anything we can do to really support this movement that you're bringing to the world?
1: That is such a sweet question. And the answer is a resounding yes. Mm. So before I go on to tell you what, I want to tell you that statistically, it's one in three women. So count your friends, one in three, you probably know somebody. And for men, it's one in seven. So men are suffering too. If it's on us to change our piece of the world, our world starts in our homes. Let's say we have the most perfect home. It's a fairy tale. People look at us and say, oh my gosh, I wanna be those people. And we have nothing to hide. We say, yep, we're those people, you wanna be us. You can bring up the subject of violence and intimate partner violence in your perfect home and you can start teaching your children that this is out there and you have to protect yourself from it so what could that mean if you have a a teenage girl teenage dating and violence huge she may not tell you because she may be told oh, come on, you're, you think you're such a princess. You're, you have a perfect house. You're such a princess. She is a princess. She's not his princess. She's mommy's and daddy's princess, so he needs to get away. Teach your children to accept who they are, not to let other people define them, and tell them why. Because violence will change you. You will spend years Digging yourself out from under this. Oh, this little boy, nobody's gonna love me. Okay, sweetheart, let's talk about that. Let me tell you about when dad and I were dating, who we dated before, all the times we thought we were in love. Tell your children about yourself and keep an eye on them and who they're with on the computer because. Predators are out there in full force. Okay, so you bring home, you talk to your kids, you have open discussions with your husband. Say, honey, or your wife, do you know anyone who might be abused at work? Is there something we can do to help? Maybe you can reach out to a community organization and ask, can I help in the community? We are so fortunate in our home that we would like to serve. If you are suffering violence at home, you can still help at home by saying maybe to yourself, to a friend, to a trusted source, there's something that's happening at home that I never told anyone about and I wanted to stop can you help me figure this out? Can you call the hotline? Can you get some ideas for me? Can I send a few pieces of clothing to your house for you to keep it safe for me so that when I have a plan, I have some things that he's not aware of? Safety planning is huge. And a lot of the times a safety plan includes a bag. Like when we go to to the hospital to give birth we have to take a bag well sometimes you're running just with the stuff on your back so you need a bag you need a plan and every one of us can go home and whether we have somebody to confide in or not we can decide today i will make a small step towards a more peaceful life in this family Hmm.
0: that to me is so important but you said something there at the end that really struck me that you know i can take a step in the direction of a more peaceful life in this family and i want to ask you about that because i know when i was um a victim of abuse. I just wanted to run away. I just, I I wanted to run away, but felt I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, the way you said that in this family, and I also know that a lot of women that suffer abuse struggle to leave the home, struggle to leave their partners. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, you know, in our title we've got, and the time is now. Now, I think that's an easy thing to say and perhaps a harder thing to actually commit to in your life. And I, I just wonder, I love how you said you can have a peaceful life and still be in this family. <laughs> yeah. Those two, somehow for me, I'm, I'm realizing as I listen to you, those were polarities that I thought couldn't live in the same sentence at all. I thought it was either one or the other. I could either have a peaceful life without the family, or if I wanted to stay in the family, it had to be this way. Do you understand at all what I'm talking
1: about? <laughs> I understand completely what you're saying, <laughs> and, and you're right, and I'm right, because yes, there, but, not, there, there's no wrong here. Yeah. yeah. And so if you know that in this family, In your heart, you know there is no way for peace. Mm. You still have to find a way to to be peaceful with yourself until you can find a way to leave. Mm. So peace doesn't mean in this family forever and ever, amen. Right. It means in this family until tomorrow. Peace in this family until next week. Peace in this family until I can reach out to the national victims hotline and start making a safety plan. Because if you don't choose peace while you are working to a different result, your brain will not be able to function properly and your executive functioning skills will be offline and you won't be able to put the next steps in place in a way that makes sense. So find a way to make a little bit of peace today for yourself, be very selfish, make the peace for yourself. Even if that means he's screaming at you, don't scream back. All the other times you've screamed back has not made a difference. Today is not the day that it will. And as you decide not to scream at them, stop screaming at yourself. Stop telling yourself, you're so stupid, you should have left, my mother said you were no good. Stop all of that and say, like I used to say to me, Indrani, you are doing the best you can in this moment. Honey, go get a drink of water. Why don't you take an extra long shower? Why don't you cook something that you like? Yeah, so they don't like it. So cook a little bit of what you like and a lot of what they like. Can you do something for yourself, Indrani, that would make you feel special today? Because, Jane, nobody is going to make us feel special unless we start. Yes.
0: I love that. And it makes so much sense to me. I wish you'd been around in my childhood. (laughs) I wish (laughs) I'd been around in my childhood. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I love the way that you are just speaking so powerfully and clearly and in such an empowering yet gentle manner about these things that we don't often speak about in society you know these are things that are kind of kept behind closed doors so i love just knowing i mean it makes me smile just knowing that you're out there you know with your ted talk speaking to the (laughs) un and you have this movement in full flow so i'd love to ask you about your vision for the world. I mean, well, what is this for you? Oh, boy. If
1: I, <laughs> if I could have exactly what I want in oh. a few years, let's say five years, yeah, some little person will be coming home from school and say, Mom, we have to do a project on domestic violence. And Mom is going to say, oh honey, that used to be a thing. It's not a thing anymore. Let's do some research. <laughs> And Jane, I'm going to tell you why that's possible. Yeah. Do you remember, uh, first of all, are you old enough that there was still smoking on an airplane? Oh, yes. Yeah? Okay. Yes. And you remember that in seat one through 2,900 was smoking and seat twenty nine hundred and one, yes. right? Okay. So the smoke was supposed to magically stop. Right. Right. Okay. And now nobody smokes anywhere. Mm. Did you ever think that that could happen in your lifetime? Mm, No. That's not happenstance. That happened because a few people decided to take on tobacco and create a tobacco treaty, Mm. which gave everybody the right to breathe clean air. If you wanted to smoke, you had to take your body outside and infect your own self with the other smokers. I am on, um, I am in a nonprofit called Every Woman Treaty and we are working on a global treaty to end domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And when somebody tells me it's not possible, I say, when was the last time you smoked on an airplane? Because if we could do it, then we could do it here. Right. It's only time and money and commitment. And I refuse to believe that we are not smart enough as a society to stop violence like this. I refuse to believe it. I will not believe we're this stupid.
0: Yes. Fantastic. And I think, you know it begins with us having the conversations of making it okay. Like Brené Brown's work is is doing some great work in this area of, Mm -hmm. you know, making us know that shame, you know, we don't need to feel that. We can be vulnerable. We can share ourselves as you've so beautifully done today. So what are you most excited about when you think about your movement, the work you're doing in the world? What's exciting you at the moment?
1: Well, you know, it, Jane, it's, it's, this is going to sound like I'm, you know, kissing up to you, but it's not. It's, it's stuff like this. Right. I, I, somebody knew me and they told you about me and now other yep. people will hear about the message. And so it's only stuff like this. It's only me saying, come on, guys, come to the party with me. Let's try. And, and, and just like you saying to me, and Ronnie, of course I had to have you on. <laughs> maybe there are other people who think okay she sounds a little bit crazy but I'll, I'll give her a chance <laughs> right. and then more and more people hear it right that's yes. that's what gets me excited that, that's why I wake up in the morning yeah
0: great answer fantastic because those ripple <laughs> effects we never know who we're impacting at they all it know. goes out and you know hopefully you know, those ripple effects and other people catch hold of the message and then it keeps
1: going. So I love that. Well, I have to tell you something. I was speaking to somebody this morning and she's in finance and um, some other high level think tank. And because I was putting out on Facebook that a vulnerable population was domestic violence victims, they were in a high level meeting last week and they were talking about all the, the vulnerable groups. And she said, And I have one to add, domestic violence victims. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh my gosh, thank you. And she said, no, thank you. I saw it on your Facebook post. I never would have thought about it. -hmm. So it is the ripples. We never know.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And that's what we're all
0: about here at Sacred Changemakers. So let me ask you one final question. If there was something you hoped that we'd kind of get to today, something you'd want to share with our listeners.
1: What might it be? If if uh, our listeners haven't yet figured out that thriving is your sacred right, not just surviving. If our listeners haven't figured out that I was really messed up, and if I could unmess up, you can too. I don't have a PhD. I don't have a, a degree in psychology. But Jane, as I was telling you before, I have a PhD in survival. Yeah. And all of us have degrees in survival. All of us. Mm-hmm. If you want to get your PhD in survival, show up every day as kind and considerate to yourself and to the people you say you love. And if people who say they love you continue to mistreat you, find a way to work through that or find a way to leave. Because we cannot keep eating lemons and pretending that they are oranges.
0: So elegantly said. And I'm just gonna add a little proviso to this as well, which is that um, you know, you you may be fortunate, you may not be a so you know, you may not be suffering from any violence yourself. And if you feel within you that this is something that you would like to help with, then be that trusted person that Indrani talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be too quick to judge other people. You've no idea what they're going through. So be kind, be compassionate. And, you know, maybe you can be the trusted person for someone who maybe needs a lifeline or just someone Mm -hmm. to talk to. So
1: Be the phone a friend. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Oh, my friend, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing and being so open and vulnerable right from the get-go and really setting the tone for what feels like it was a very intimate, a very personal conversation, and Johnny, that I hope will help our listeners in some way and make them recognize how, you know, how important this issue is. If we're moving towards a better world, this has got to be something that we take a stand for, that we break through, that we end in the world. It has to be.
1: Thank you for letting me come.
0: You're so welcome it was so good oh well that's all for today thank you so much for listening in and before we finish today i want you to know why this podcast exists because at sacred change makers we do believe in a better world and we believe that business can be a powerful force for good we believe your life can be a powerful force for good and we know that today more than ever, you can be a key driving force in evolutionary change. And we all have this capability to facilitate this change. We can all be change makers and bring our sacred work to the world. So if deep down you know you have more potential yet to emerge, let us help you. Join us at sacredchangemakers.com and consider joining our engaged and supportive community That many of our members call home. We help you to make a bigger impact by unleashing your soul work into the world. These are the incredible people who make this podcast possible because our members are our sponsors. Together, we can make the world a better place. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. And for now, I just want to say a big thank you for listening for your efforts and your intentions to make our world a better place until next time lots of love